Yeah. Okay. Go ahead and practice. I'll hit record while you practice because that's fun. Okay, go ahead. This is Bridget Cutshaw from Gemini Media, and you're listening to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, reminding you to keep moving. (laughs) No, that's perfect. That's that's what I do. That's what my new book is about, how to keep active. Yeah. Uh, you know, mo- moving rather than exercise because people don't like the word exercise. <laughs> well, how about having fun? I mean, if right, you have fun you know, with movement. Yeah, right, have like fun that. with movement. Okay, there you go. You want to do I'll another one? That. Okay, go for it. Yeah, I'm, should I go ahead and do it? I'm, yep. I'm ready to go. Whenever you're ready. All right. This is Bridget Cutshaw from Gemini Media, and you're listening to Vroom Vroom Beer with Jeff Smith, reminding you to have fun with movement and exercise. See? There you go. Put fun first. That's my new book. Put fun first. <laughs> I like that. It's true. That's I'm, I'm not actually movie. writing a book, so don't, that's a joke. Well, that's good. <clears throat> that's yeah. what my book is about. Is uh, you're not going to do an exercise if you don't find it fun or be make it happy. There. Amen. But, All right, let me hit stop real quick. I'm, I have to make a new file. I'll be right back. Okay. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Chase Tuning, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Oh, my man, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to connect with you and your audience. I'm doing great. I'm actually sipping on my second cup of coffee here today, which nice. is a little out of character for me this, this late in the morning. I'm, I'm pretty team sleep over here, so I'm very <laughs> mindful of my caffeine amount and timing. Gotcha. But uh, you know what? I want to make sure I'm delivering and firing on all cylinders for you guys today. So cheers, man. Cheers. I am pre-caffeinated as well. Ready to rock all and right. roll. All right. <laughs> so you are at everforwardradio.com. So talk a little bit about what you're most excited about in your business today. I'm most excited about today in life and in business. And I say those two words kind of interchangeably for me because that's just where I'm at in both. You know, now I'm sure we're going to get into part of the story later, but now pushing seven years later as uh, an entrepreneur, as a content creator, as a podcaster, just doing all the audio and video and social media things, but really as a way to kind of keep getting closer to myself and coming closer to my home and my truth and just who Chase truly is and what Chase wants to create in the world purely for artistic, creative purposes. But thankfully, we are in a place in time and in America and just in the world, really, where you can you can create something that actually creates a life for you. you. You can do that and also create a business at the same time. So I'm just very grateful and blessed and happy to be at a place where I can continue to build something that I want to build and adds value to my personal life and then find a way to financially survive off of that as well. I'm so grateful for the podcasting space. It's been so good to me. And uh, yeah, everything I do now at Everforward Radio is just creating meaningful content to help people, like I say, live a life ever forward. It's amazing. Yeah, 
So I, I had to cyber stalk you for a couple hours this morning. Good, as one does. Good as stuff. One does. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little creepy. <laughs> but it, it's, it, it's where we are in the world. It's exactly. I mean, I can't like that's kind of like the very minimal amount of research that I do. But I watched that very long video. Um, yeah, it was great. And that. That one 20 minute video was enough content. I was like taking notes. I'm like, okay, we can talk about this. So thank you. Good video. Uh, love where thank you're you. at. Congratulations on all your success. Uh, I always love thank to you. see veterans doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, soft spot, soft spot in heart. So, okay. So this is room Vroom Veer. That means we got to go back in time. Talk about chase, the army chase, but let's start at like, High school chase. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Virginia? I did. Okay. Roanoke, Virginia. Okay. A very small town, southwest Virginia, almost to the Virginia-North Carolina border. Oh, right. Okay. Very small town. And actually, majority of my childhood, I uh, wasn't even in, air quote here, the big city uh, of Roanoke. I was actually in a very, very small I wouldn't even call it a town, a zip code uh, right. called Boone's Mill. If anybody out there knows Boone's Mill, wow. Virginia, okay. uh, just in the middle of nowhere, literally in the middle of a couple hundred acres on my grandparents' land. Wow. And we lived with them and my family for probably the first pushing 12, almost 13 years of my life my goodness. before kind of moving into the city of Roanoke and kind okay. of adjusting life. So Yikes. I had a great childhood just growing right. up on land, growing up with my Running family, growing woods. up with just causing trouble, setting things on fire, <laughs> yeah. building forts, you know, and growing a garden and just, you know, living a life of, of love, really. That's awesome. Yeah, I grew up in uh, Upper Peninsula, Michigan. So very small town, but not like as small as what you're talking about. We had probably yeah. Our next neighbor was maybe two mountains over, a few miles away. So wow, pretty pretty secluded. Yeah. Yikes! But no snow, right? There's no snow. Every once in a while, I remember we had a a blizzard when I was in, I think, elementary or middle school, and we were out for over a week. Yeah, it was a couple feet, but it, it happens maybe every five to 10 years in Virginia. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. But that it sucks extra because you don't have snow plows and you're not ready. Right. Well, <laughs> we were the snow plows, the children oh, really? were the snow plows, the child labor. Yeah. You know, when you got yes. three sure. kids and a bunch of dogs and, you know, right. uh, a, luckily a generator and a lot of old kerosene lamps, you know, we got wow. by, okay. but uh, we were the ones plowing the snow and we we're also the ones playing in it and having a good time. When it snowed that much, we weren't going anywhere. We had sure. plenty of food. We had the generator. That's like the I good said, version so. of lockdown, right? It's only a day. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> When a snow day lasts for two years, it kind of blows, but (laughs) one day is awesome. Yeah. So, okay. So what were, did you go to high school then in the city? It sounds like you got to the city when you were 12 or 13. Yeah. You know, a big part of that move was I, my understanding was wanting uh, my parents wanting my dad and my stepmom wanting to kind of change up my upbringing a little bit. They had recently gone into business for themselves. My father was an army veteran. He was in the 101st Airborne Persian Gulf vet. Um, He too, actually, like myself, suffered career-ending injuries that cut his military career a little short. Wow. And so he then went into business for himself a couple years later, and we got into the restaurant business, the coffee house business. And so part of the move was for them to be closer to the businesses because 
that commute was just not cutting it anymore when you're, right. you know, opening up a coffee house at 6 a.m. and getting up at 3 a.m. because you got to drive in from the boonies. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So they did that for the business, but also there was this school very close to our first coffee house, literally across the street, uh, a small private Christian non-denominational church. And, you know, my family being religious and growing up in the Bible Belt, and we were majority of my life Southern Baptist, and it just really appealed to them that, you know, having a school that close to the business because they were there a lot and getting me out of the public school system because at the time, I was never a problem child, but, you know, they just kind of, there were a few instances where, hey, we kind of don't like maybe the amount of opportunities and potential slippery slopes for Chase to go down here. So I didn't like it at the time. I don't think any kid (laughs) does being pulled out from their school and away from their friends um, and and literally kind of, you know, overnight getting transplanted into a different school. And you're like 12 or 13. So that's, I was um, 12. Yeah. About 12 years old. And so, so that's like middle school, right? Yeah. I started about halfway through seventh grade going into eighth grade. So more or less eight, through 12th grade is where I was there. And um, it was an incredible education opportunity that definitely set me up for success down the road. But at the time it was a, it was a, it's a hard transition. Yeah. 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 yeah, You see, I, I, I I finished in the same school district. (laughs) So yeah, everything was super stable and still highly traumatic. Right. I think every, nobody, (laughs) nobody escapes the public school system, you know, thoroughly unscathed. Or, or any school system or teenage years, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, so you finish high school. Well, let's let's take, take a step back and say, what, what were you like in high school? Were you like a jock? Were you like a nerd, academic guy? If you had to pin, pigeonhole yourself or none of the above, I don't know. What were you? Really, I would say none of the above. I okay, a little bit of if everything. I had to pick one, maybe the closest would be class clown. But oh, nice. Um, I I played like baseball it. my entire life. You know, little league and t ball, and you know, I played up until about high school. But I never really considered myself a jock. I was just an active guy. I was always playing outdoors. The Appalachian Trail was right behind me. Oh, nice. You know, so I loved baseball. I played many, many years. I played lacrosse for about two years. Uh, but when I transferred schools, it was a very, very small, very brand new, actually, maybe two years old school at the time. And physical education just wasn't part of the curriculum. Okay. Um, we would maybe sometimes have affiliate affiliations with like local, retro, uh, rec, what's what I'm looking for? Rec leagues. Uh, intramural sports, recreation yeah. sports. And so there was no really opportunity to be a jock. Um, gotcha. There was no, you know, real any hard division of categories or types of person. But I was definitely just a fun, outgoing guy. I was joking maybe a little bit too much. But, yeah, if I had to pick anything, I'd say more class clown. But I'm mm. just a guy who's trying to find humor and everything and help everybody have a better time in life. Ah, yeah, yeah. I, I would say I was probably probably up there for class clown, but I never considered myself class clown. Mm. I, I, I would prefer the, the term class comedian. I put there some thought into the jokes. <laughs> we were the comedic relief. We were the comedic relief. Tried yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So is there a story about how you end up going in the army or did you just have that as a plan in the back of your mind all along? 
I, like a lot of other people around the age 15, 16, began to think about what does my future hold? What do I want it to hold? Am I I taking the SATs, the ACTs? Am I applying to colleges? What are all my friends doing? What Mm -hmm. are my teachers saying that I should do? What is my family recommending? What does this kind of next stage of life look like? And I had no idea or I had no absolution of Mm. what I wanted to do with my life. A lot of people know my entire life I've wanted to be an astronaut or a a painter or an engineer or a doctor or whatever. Yeah. It's like an identity crisis almost. Exactly. I had no idea what what I I wanted to be. (laughs) Right. Yes. (laughs) Who can commit to that at 15, 16, 17? (laughs) Some people, sure, maybe, but I I wasn't fully sold on any one thing. Um, A little part of me in the back of my head, you know, had this artistic streak and I was maybe considering a graphic design. But again, it wasn't this just uh, absolute. It wasn't this, I'm going to do this. I want to study this. Did you like draw and stuff? Is that? Yeah, yeah. So I I was big in art programs in my school. Nice. Uh, My grandmother was very artistic. A lot of art artists in my family. So, you know, painting, sketching, watercolor, oil. Mm. Um, And I... Art was always my jam, my elective in high school. So I enjoyed it. And I thought, oh, well, this is really kind of the only thing that I enjoy and the only thing that I have a personal track record of doing regularly or consistently. So I guess that's what I should do with my life, right? Right, yeah. You're just stabbing the dark. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. (laughs) Yeah, but I wasn't fully sold. And and honestly, my family, we didn't come from a lot of money or have a lot of money. My parents, like I said, really sacrificed a lot to put me into this very, you know, expensive for us uh, private school to give me this education and opportunity. And I just kind of felt like going to college was going to be a burden, was going to be a more okay. of a financial burden for my family. And so I, I talked to my dad, you know, he presented the option, like I said, he was in the army. I was like, dad, you know, what about maybe the military? And I knew that we had a family legacy of service. You know, he was in the army. My uncle was a Marine. My grandfather is a World War II army veteran. Wow. And basically, you got a legacy every generation, yeah. yeah, about every generation we can trace back for many generations, there's always been someone in, in the service. And I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that would be a cool legacy to kind of continue on. And so after speaking with a few different recruiters, I landed on the army. And at the time, this is 2003, so we're in a global war on terrorism is happening. We're in Iraq. We're about to go into Afghanistan and it was very in demand. And so they gave me a lot of incentives. They gave me a lot of benefits in terms of education, signing bonus. Yes. (laughs) I got a $20,000 signing bonus. Wow. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. This 17 year old kid coming from not a lot of money in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, 20 grand seems like you're loaded, right? Exactly. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Little did I know that it was going to be paid out little bit by little bit, year after year after year. And all in all, it turned out to a little over 11,000, maybe, you know, shy of 12 after taxes and all Mm. this stuff. Yeah. So So uh, that money didn't last very long. No, (laughs) right. Okay. Yeah. So that, that was appealing to me. And and I knew that by going that route, I also wasn't going to be this financial burden on my family. Right. And it was something that I just felt comfortable taking on my shoulders. And it also really kind of solidified this connection that my father and I had. Him and I already had a great relationship. Mm. He was my best friend. You know, there was this perfect balance of of love and fear. <laughs> you know, he was a, a very 
very friendly, very warm, same approachable guy. <laughs> yes. But he was an 11 Bravo in the 101st Airborne, jumping out of helicopters, blowing wow. shit up. In, and so, so what's I, an 11 know, Bravo? Is that uh, infantry? Just, just oh, infantry. infantry okay, guy, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So he Yikes. was a, he was a, he was a grunt. He was just this bear yeah, yeah. of a man, and uh, you know I was you know. I didn't want to get on his bad side. No, 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 no. <laughs> but uh, so but were you an, like an only child route, or did you have siblings? Uh, oldest of three. Oldest of three. Okay. So I was youngest of three. So I, I had same sort of relationship. Love my dad. Right. Great guy. Scary as hell. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. that was back in the day when it was still okay to hit your kids. My dad had like sure, a belt, yeah. you know, one of those leather belts. And he would like not necessarily, he never hit me with it. I think he tried to make it look like he was going to hit my sister a couple times. <laughs> yeah, which, which that fear alone will do the same job sometimes. But he would take it out, right, and then smack it, right? So it would make yeah. this oh, very loud yeah. snap. I my grandfather like, used to do the same thing. Silence. <laughs> All movement of kids cease. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've lost something, haven't we? <laughs> it was clear who was in charge in that. In very that, clear. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So that's cool. So talk a little bit about, you know, basic military and then roll into that. How you end up getting so fucking injured, you get medically <laughs> retired. What the fuck? <sighs> Yeah. So like I said, I, I enlisted and I took a job that gave a lot of benefits, this sign up bonus. Uh, they were really needing a lot of people in the military intelligence community, specifically oh, linguists. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So sweet. Which I worked with military pretty, linguists. Oh, good. Okay, great. Yeah. So my a lot my of nerds there. <laughs> a lot of yeah. nerds. Okay. So you're a nerd. I'm, gotcha. <laughs> I'm not quite sure why I went that route because yeah. honestly, I struggled a lot with language in, in middle school and high school. I mean, I literally, my Spanish teacher in high school had to create a special just her and I summer school program because she's like, Chase, I basically, she said this without saying this. I basically passed you because you need to pass Spanish, but you're going to be a fish out of water next year. I think in like Spanish two or something. Really? So shout out Miss Miss Clark for for going the extra mile there. Yeah. Um, way so to go. I struggled with Spanish. I don't know what I was thinking signing up to go into the military as a linguist. But you know what? Twenty thousand dollars will give you a lot of incentive. So you go to DLI in Monterey. Mm. So after basic training, <laughs> literally after the day after graduation, yeah. I got my orders. I, I was going to DLI. Defense Language Institute. Sorry. The Defense Language <laughs> Institute. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And Monterey is so great. I, not a bad place to be for your first right. assignment. And it's yeah. really long school too. My program was a little over a year. Okay. Uh, it, it's traditionally, I believe like 12 or 13 months. Mine wound up being about 15 because actually towards the end of that time, or no, excuse me. Yeah. Towards the end of that time, uh, I wound up having to go home because my father was passing away. He had been Yikes. diagnosed with ALS. And so he had a very severe case, Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm. And right towards the end of my training, you know, and this is total immersion language training. Day one, no English. You're with wow. native instructors of whichever language you have. And so mine was Russian. And okay. so I was just, just all things Russia. Mm. Learning history, culture, language, movies, Mm. You know, colloquialisms, all that stuff. Government. You don't get to and speak English. Really? They push no English as much as possible. Even wow. like they're speaking and you're just like trying to absorb it. And then right, you right. learn all the things. So, yeah. That's um, rough. <clears throat> but it works. It, it does. It works. You know, and I'm still fluent and I still speak it as much as possible today. Wow. So 
towards the end of that time, I wound up going home on emergency leave to be with my family and to be with my father in his last couple of days and Yikes. Oh, bury him. Yeah, oh. I was 19 years old when he passed away. Ouch. And so I then had to go back to duty and uh, I wound up getting rolled back uh, towards uh, another class, as they say. And I finished up after another two to three months. And that's what I did for the next about four years. I was a Russian intelligence specialist, a Russian analyst, Russian linguist. Right, right. Um, I, I did give some of my intelligence skills and training for several missions in between some operations with my main focus in Russia. Um, and we, we did a lot of missions and work support, intelligence support for Mexico, South America, Central America in terms of human trafficking, sex trafficking. Wow, so here comes the um, Spanish back. Thanks, Mrs. Clark. Well, not even, <laughs> no, 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 no. Like I said, Spanish is not my jam. Okay. But I, I, I did have unique skill sets in intelligence gathering oh, and gotcha. dissemination. More like just so like just, a, a general intel guy at that point. Just intelligence, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, supporting that in that manner. And, um, you know, then I, I did that, for, like I said, for several years. And then I wanted to kind of do the same thing, like I just talked about just being an intelligence operative, but in support, direct support of OIF and OEF. And so I was volunteering for some deployments and the first one fell through. They were looking for somebody at a higher rank. So I busted my ass and went through all the promotion boards that I could and maxed out my points and just was really working as hard as possible. And so I went from E4 to E5, specialist to sergeant. And then I even was looking at another deployment opportunity and, you know, okay, fine. Now I'm, I'm a sergeant. I'm an E5. I have a higher probability. Was doing some war game training in preparation for this selection. And I was out in the field, maybe it was like day two or three. Honestly, it wasn't that long. And I just wound up just kind of leading this ambush and everything was just working against me. I, it's just one of those freak accidents where, you just move the wrong way, the wrong speed. You got the wrong conditions. You know, I'm in full battle rattle, as we call it. All you my body armor, on. my weapon. Right, right. Absolutely. I had, those packs you know, weigh sleeping. like 100 pounds or 60 pounds or 80 pounds. Uh, you're, yeah, with body armor and, and everything, you're looking uh, anywhere from like, you know, 80 to 120 pounds, dependent right. on the mission or the training environment. Okay. And so I've been running off, you know, a couple of days, you know, maybe four hours sleep and just, you know, a lot of things working against me physiologically and even mentally to not even be fully aware of where my body is, how should I properly maneuver. So I was leading this ambush against the fake enemy, the op four, as we call it, right. the opposing force. And as soon as I popped up to lead this ambush with my, my squad, I, I popped back down. In fact, I heard and felt this pop and I, wow screamed out. I thought that I got shot. I was like, who the fuck put a live round? Like, this is not a live fire. Like, I seriously thought that I, I got shot. shot. Wow. And I, I reached back to my leg and it was just huge and swollen and, and wow. just so, so painful. I was screaming out loud. I tore my hamstring and the pop that I heard and felt Ugh. was my hamstring. Oh my God. And <laughs> yeah. And so Wow. That coupled with a lot of kind of just torsion, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, my, yeah. part yeah. of my back wanting to go one way and my L4 yeah. and L5 wanting to go another way. Right, right. Just really wrecked my back. And you've got back. all that weight on there. Right? Exactly, exactly. And, yeah. So yeah, I wound yeah. up getting medevaced out of that training environment. Wow. Wound up suffering a lot more injuries than I realized at that moment and had a lot to kind of like take on now in terms of uh, my my gait, my my hips, my back, my everything. Right. And in pursuit of trying to rehabilitate too quickly and in pursuit of trying to mm. get back on this deployment um, possibility, I, I wound up just compounding more injuries. And ultimately, my femurs began to kind of just 
grind up into my hip sockets. There was just no room. I could barely walk in excruciating pain. They wound up pulling me entirely from not only any deployment opportunity, but pulled me from my unit, transplanted me to a medical hold unit, uh, Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas, where I then for about the next 15-ish months was just a patient. So I had to have both of my femurs completely reconstructed, but one at a time. The yeah. procedure at the time was very, very So it's not intrusive. a hip replacement, it's a femur? Not a hip replacement. So what they did wow. was they started my right hip first, and I've got incisions from about mid-quad up to the top of my glute, you know, about 12, oh my 15 God. incisions. <laughs> the surgical dislocation of the hip, they reshape, restructure the femur, shave down the femur head, reattach it and i've got two rods that go in the femur to keep it there from going back up into the hip socket and then wow you know days in the hospital weeks on bed rest even more weeks and months you know at home and in clinic, physical therapy rehab and literally learning how to walk again and once that i could get to a point to where i could walk on my own and load bear just just my body weight like cool sergeant tuning now we're going to go back and do the other one. So I had to relive <laughs> that whole experience all over again. Another eight, nine months of that, of that experience. Wow. And you knew that was coming, but you didn't want to hear it. Yeah, exactly. I knew both needed to be done. They couldn't do both at the same time. Right. And That's uh, rough. it's just kind of, I have never heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you're getting better. And I was, and then you get excited because you're like, Oh, I'm a real boy again. I can walk. You know, Maybe there's hope for me to go back to duty. Maybe yeah, yeah, they'll let me be yeah. a soldier again. Maybe right. I can get back to my life's plan. Right. But then after the next one, uh, I actually suffered an injury shortly after the second surgery, uh, had a pretty gnarly tear to my labrum and my hip, but Ooh. being so fresh to the, the surgery, they couldn't go in to repair it. So I had some pretty severe difficulties with that second one that ultimately led to them deciding that I'm completely non-deployable. And Yikes. once I got to a point to where I could walk again on both, they medboarded me and, mm. and they deemed the nature of my injuries and my physical All service connected though? All service connected. So it was Excellent. so severe. It was actually a medical retirement. Right, so right. I, I left the military at 24. Thank God you, know. you didn't get screwed. <laughs> well, I, I've heard so many veterans. It wasn't veterans an easy like, experience. No, 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 sure. no. I, I'm yeah. just saying like they did the right thing by you. Like the, the army did, did right by you, I think. I yeah, mean, that's one way to look at it. That's one way to look at it. Um, I like definitely they, had they literally. They could have like just kicked you out, right? They could have just said, right, okay, right. you're boarded, get out, right? And then yeah. you don't get the retirement. Which I, so I did, you know, very grateful for the benefits that gave me right. in terms of medical, you know, healthcare, yeah. um, you know, even a, uh, a few education benefits that are unique to that as well. I had a buddy who was diagnosed bipolar and they boarded her and she did not get medically retired, uh, retired. And it's, uh, that it's might really be hard because yeah. yeah, they got to trace it I to think a, they, it has to be a service connected disability yeah, rating. Right. So, you know, she had like. You know, she couldn't, she lost her clearance, you know, all the things that you'd expect, mm-hmm. right, on the way out. But there there was serious talk of having a military retirement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how it worked out in the end, but while I was her buddy, she did not get the medical retirement. I know they the Air Force went and reviewed a bunch of those cases because they were getting sued a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So she yeah. might have been in there and she might have gotten the retirement. I think she should have, you know, but I think everybody should have. <laughs> I don't want to look at the folder. <laughs> 
That's, yeah, a, that's right. a veteran, right? So don't, yeah. don't fuck him over. Anyway, so sorry you had to go through that. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was rough. It was rough. And uh, like I said, that was my plan. I was very intrigued by, oh, I can join this, this organization at age 17. I can serve 20 years and I can serve my country and get all these benefits and do all these things. Yeah. And then at 37, I can separate. I can maybe chill for a little bit. I can quite literally retire. I right. can have a pension. I can have these education and medical benefits, you know, probably have some financial stability and then, you know, go on to the next season of my life. 37, 38, mm. 40 is so young and it's yeah. wild as we're talking now. I, you know, I'm 37 now. And, you know, this last year I would have been going through my retirement. And in fact, many of my friends that I served with, the last six, eight, 10 months, I'm they're seeing pictures now. of yeah. them. I'm seeing their <laughs> retirement ceremonies. Right. I'm seeing, you know, command sergeant majors, mm. you know, that I served with as E2s. And it's just, mm. it's wild to think that mm. that could have been my life compared to where my life is now. I have no regrets and I'm very grateful. Uh, it's weird to say out loud, I have immense gratitude for the death of my father. I have immense gratitude for my injuries. I have Thanks for these horrific events, these physical, mental, emotional, even spiritual events that completely derailed my original life plan or even things like, you know, having my dad around, you know, taking that for granted. Nobody is gifted or guaranteed tomorrow. All we have is right here, right now. Right. And so while that humbled me and broke me in many ways mm. and took me many years to physically recover from and many, many, even more years to recover emotionally and mentally from the death of my father, right. I would not be living in my purpose and out of my truth today like that I know that I am. Right. So let's let's drill down a little bit in how you dealt with your father's death because we kind of just glazed over it as part of a bigger story. Mm. So you're there and you kind of mm. like know he's on his way out. That's got to be, it's got to be rough. I mean, just- It was. It's knowing that it's it's inevitable, Right. It's days away. Were you able to communicate? For a little while. Okay. The nature, if anyone doesn't know what Lou Gehrig's disease is or ALS, amyotrophic, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, it is an autoimmune disorder that some people, it is very quick and some people can have the diagnosis for decades. Right. And my father got hit hard. And so from diagnosis to when he was really unable to speak anymore because his symptoms kind of first appeared in his throat. He was having trouble, having trouble swallowing and he was mm. just kind of like, you know, mm -hmm. his throat, his, uh, what I'm looking for, throat box, his voice, his muscles in his throat wouldn't cooperate. And so he would get, it was very difficult for him to talk and he would get very tired and it was very garbled. So from diagnosis to when his speech went away was maybe, maybe four or five months. Wow. Um, and then after that, he became pretty confined to a, a wheelchair, a motorized chair. We had uh, in-home support pretty soon after that. And then the last four or five, I think four months of his life, he was just completely a prisoner in his own body. Mm, his body wow. just began to atrophy and wither away very, very quickly. Uh, and he was in the hospital. He was in a, vet, a VA hospital in my hometown, just... 24 seven care, mm. uh, until he, you know, until he ultimately the lungs went out. Um, I, I'm pretty sure technically 
the cause of death, like many people in those instances, was pneumonia because your mm. body's right, right. immune system like, just shuts down. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you get a lot of, you know, fluid in the lungs and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, it was about 15, 18 months from diagnosis to when he passed. And so I would always try to communicate as much as possible. Right. I would write letters to him when I was away. I, I would come home whenever I could get, you know, mm-hmm. a three-day leave or four-day leave or take leave or a holiday or something. But, you know, I was stationed thousands of miles away and, you know, my work was very, very demanding and it was very hard for me to get home as mm. often as I would like. Um, and, and actually so much so that I felt so compelled to be home more than serving my country, I began to drop what's called hardship paperwork in the military, which basically is you go to your command and there's a process. And if you can present a case to prove that there's a higher demand for you right. as a caretaker, as a provider mm. for a dependent, a family member situation back home, you can try to get out of your contract. Yeah, the hardship discharge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I actually tried to do that because wow. I was like, I'll be, I'll be damned if I'm going to, you know, be away from my family during this time. I'll be damned if I'm not going to be by my father's side right. until his last breath goes out. And just... In honor to my dad's character and, and the relationship that we had, once I told him about this, he asked me politely to just wait. He got on a plane, literally the last maybe week that he could physically walk, barely talk, and he flew out to me in Monterey. Wow. And he spent three or four days with me. We got a hotel room off base, just not trying to convince me otherwise, not trying to change my mind, but to just be a father, to be a father, to be present with a son that is struggling, Mm. to be present with a child that has just left home and is trying to start a new life, start a new identity, but is afraid. Exactly. Figure out who I am and come to terms with who I am without him. Mm. And he had such a major influence in my life and was a big part of why I joined the military. And he was just, he was my everything. And those days he spent just being a father to a son in need. Mm. And I'll never forget, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, Pops, forgive me. But basically he said something like, Chase, I don't want you to stop your life from starting just because mine might be ending prematurely. And that stuck with me. And he, we kind of made a promise to each other that I wouldn't, that I would keep, I would keep on keeping on. I would move right. forward. I would keep right, right. ever forward. This, you know, this mantra kind of, kind of finally came to life. This way of living that he had modeled for me and my family and brothers and sisters. And just this mantra that he had from his time in the military actually was a was his unit's insignia, their creed from his time in the National Guard before he went active duty. The 116th Infantry Regiment out of Roanoke, Virginia, is the creed, you know, on their shoulder there, on their patch, is ever forward. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And so he brought it home and kind of just instilled it in us. And it was during that time when he visited me right before he passed that I, I really understood what what that was, what that meant, what that looked like. Mm. And so I did, unfortunately. Um, you know, I was very begrudging. It was begrudgingly doing so at the time. And, uh, and then how I dealt with it was, to answer your question directly, I, I didn't. Mm. Once I buried my father, 
I flew back to base about three days later and I just stuffed everything down. I avoided it at all costs. I see how long you can stay in denial, basically. Basically, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, truly. I I, I didn't have the emotional intelligence to navigate that hardship. I, I felt like me talking about it would be seen as a weakness. And especially, mm. like I said, this is 2005 now. We were at the height of OIF, OEF. Right. And you hear rumors, you hear half-truths about people you know, that are coming back from deployment, suffering from PTSD, mm. or even anything stateside. If you go down this hallway, or if you really get a file about your mental health, good luck with the rest of your career. Right. You're right. going right. to get right. passed over for promotion. You're right. going to lose these opportunities. So yeah, the first thing you do or, is you lose your clearance and then maybe you can't right, do your job right. anymore. Right. Yeah. And my clearance huge, was my everything at the huge, time. Huge yeah. stigma against going to I had to a top to secret security like clearance <laughs> right. and it was just like dangled over me. Yep. You walked a razor thin line yeah. because oh, yeah. anything outside of this jeopardizes your clearance, jeopardizes your career, jeopardizes the livelihood of your brothers and sisters in arms and potentially jeopardizes a nation at war. Right. And so I didn't deal with it at all right for about the next 12 years oh my god until, wow yeah. wow okay yeah. all right until it reared its ugly head in the form of at that time undiagnosed ptsd right and so I, how did I that just, manifest did, did you rage or did you it manifested in terms of me having extreme panic attacks of mm. blacking out of to the point of, you know, seizure induced experiences. Wow. Um, being That's unsafe amazing. behind the wheel of a car, being triggered by a song or a memory, um, having severe. to leave. Yeah. Having to leave parties, having to leave movies, having to walk out of, uh, you know, a, a movie on TV or a movie theater because there's a death scene or something reminds me of my father, this experience. And wow. I just have these out of body horrific experiences. Um, and so ultimately they just got so severe that I luckily had a loved one in my life at the time call me out uh, and go, Chase, by you ignoring this is, first of all, a huge disservice and dishonor to your father. You're, you're not carrying on in the way that he would want you to carry on, but also it's just not healthy. Right. You're going to get worse. Yeah. And this is this not going to get better, you know, right on right. its own. You, it doesn't go you, away. You, by not dealing with it is not dealing with it. Right. You know. And so this person, um, who is now my wife, uh, was wow. also very, very clear with me that by you not taking care of you is you not taking care of us. And if you can't ask for help or get for help or uh, let me help you through this, then I, I see this as a big problem for the future of us. And it might not be in us. Right. Ultimate. And, and so, exactly. Basically. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, uh, one out of love and one that really hit me hard and one that you know, to anyone listening that maybe has experienced something like this or is experiencing this, in significantly trying times in our lives, big T, little t, trauma, uh, you, a breakup, a lost job, an identity crisis, the death of a friend or family member, whatever, many times in my experience, <clears throat> we don't work on it because of our own personal reasons, whatever that might be. But when, when we are presented the opportunity and we have the awareness enough that there is this opportunity that we should work on this for somebody else, that I think is one of life's greatest gifts because I realized 
at that moment, first of all, how much she loves me and how much I love her. But more specifically, I don't want to lose her. Mm. And I don't want to, I don't want to have any excuse as to why I didn't fight for us. Mm. And so it was 12, 13 years later when now finally me working on the death of my father and, and facing this traumatic event and finally grieving was important to me, not for me, but for her. Mm. And so what first started out as healing and going to therapy and working on myself uh, so that I could save our relationship, ultimately no shit here saved my life because it showed me totally. how important and necessary it was right. to navigate this area of my life, to navigate my mental health, to make my mental health a priority. And, you know, ultimately led me down a lot of different modalities and types of, you know, self-care, professional help, but just different ways to just face this, embrace it and bring it with me and to develop this completely new and healthy relationship to this event it's not like I just figured it out and you know, I left it behind me. That's never going to go away. Right? Right. The past right. is never going to leave us. We just have to develop an understanding of it, yeah, yeah. develop a new, better relationship with it so that when it comes up again or when we choose to face it, it's on our terms and in a healthy way. Yeah. Chase, we're getting close to quitting. <laughs> we're just getting good, though. Jeff. I we're know. Let's, let's put a pin in it and wait for uh, uh, part two, part three, and part you know forever forward. Um, oh, nobody wants to hear me that much. <laughs> as much as you like. <laughs> yeah. But so you are at Ever Forward Radio. You are Chase Tuning. So talk a little bit about how people can guess best get in touch with you to hear more about this amazing story and see what Chase is up to. Yeah, well, this amazing story is the catalyst for everything that I'm doing. You know, right. once I kind of had this wake up moment, you know, myself and by my now wife, like I said, uh, I decided to face it and I decided to live with it and create something because of it. Ever forward was my father's mantra, the way that he lived his life and the way that I thought that I was living my life. But now it is exactly how I live my life and it is my life. Mm. So I decided as a way to continue his legacy and honor him and for me to keep getting better and to keep pushing forward, I decided to create Ever Forward Radio almost seven years ago now. Wow. And so it's a podcast devoted to physical, mental, and emotional, spiritual well-being. Anything that I say can bring awareness to your life to maintain, to let go of, or to add on to help move you forward, to keep you moving ever forward in life. So if this message, my story resonates with you in any way, if you'd like to hear more of topics that I have, solo episodes, predominantly interview style with people that embody this theme already, right? come check me out at Everford Radio, anywhere you listen or watch podcasts, everfordradio.com. And then on social media, you can find me at Chase underscore tuning. That's where I kind of share my day to day behind the scenes of the show, but really all encompassing internal and external wellness relationships, entrepreneurship, and for all my military homies, plenty of uh, veteran content out there as well. Yeah. Chase, this has been a blast. I mean, Jeff, my pleasure. Thank I mean, you, not, not a blast that, that it was fun content, but great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Thank well, you. it is being able to talk about the good times yeah. and, and the, the hard times, times is important. Yes. Yes, sir. And, uh, I hope we get to talk again soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Thank you.